Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We are continuing with our Sunday School series dealing with Psalm 119. And remember, Psalm 119 is divided up into several sections, eight verses apiece. Each one of these sections correspond with the Hebrew alphabet. As we now come to verse number 49, we hit the one with the Hebrew alphabet that remember in the Hebrew, it doesn't translate well, but in Hebrew, every verse in this passage begin with the Hebrew letter Zayn. We begin with verse number 49 and we have another segment dealing with the word of God. Notice with me starting at verse number 49, Psalm 119 verse 49. Remember the word unto thy servant, upon which thou hast caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickeneth me. The proud have had me greatly in derision, yet I have not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law that thy statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage I have remembered thy name O Lord in the night and have kept thy law this I had because I kept thy precepts and if you're in the habit of marking things in your bible would you mark a phrase that we find in psalm 119 psalm 119 in verse number 49 notice the very end thou hast caused me to hope and we know that that way that he did it was god's word and we could maybe summarize it like this the word caused me to hope the word caused me to hope now the psalmist now finds himself in some adverse circumstances. This situation was caused by wicked men who hated him because he was godly. And as he's going through these circumstances, one thing that he finds that keeps him going is hope. People can live a little while without food. They can live a little while without water. But one thing that people cannot live without is hope. People need hope hope. And so when the psalmist is in a circumstance where the people are against him, the adversaries are, are fired up, he is surrounded, what keeps him going? Hope. Hope. Hope is what he needs. Hope is what he has. Now remember, when we define hope, hope is not a wistful thing or a wishful thing. Hope is a confident expectation of something or someone sure to come. Now, oftentimes we use that word hope interchangeably with another word, faith. And where do we get hope? That's a good question. The same place we get faith. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Where do we get our hope? 
from God's word. We need hope. And so in the most dire of circumstances, in the darkest of night, our bright hope comes from God's word. It is the lantern that we have in that dark world to give us our hope. And so let's explore this psalm and see some of the things that are going on in the psalmist's life and see that he has hope in the midst of all of this. First of all, the word caused me to hope in affliction. The word caused me to hope in affliction. Now remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou has caused me to hope. Now remember, hope is only as good as to the promise it is related. When we hope in God's word, we can be assured that our hope is well placed. So knowing where is your hope placed at? It's always the idea of context. It's always the idea of, of where it is. For example, inside of the word of God, we have the phrase, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee right? Why is it such a comfort? Because of the thing we have attributed to it. We have, when it, we understand that the context is God, it gives us great hope. But if you don't have the right context, let's say that it doesn't have the same effect if I'm in my daughter's room in the dark where she's trying to sleep and say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't get across the same thing. Does that make sense? We have to understand our hope comes from the word of God and it comes because of the promises of God. We have to attribute the right thing. If you hope in the wrong thing, then your hope is misplaced and it's going to hurt you. It's going to make things worse when you put your hope in the wrong thing. For example, remember when you were really, really poor and you opened your mailbox every day hoping that there'd be some unexpected present that showed up there? And it didn't show up there and your hope degrades just a little bit more. Our hope must be secured in the right thing. In the right person. Our hope must be secured on God based off of his word. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 49. Remember thy word unto thy servant upon which thou hast cost me, caused me to hope. Notice, upon which, upon what? Upon the word. It is God's word upon which thou has caused me to hope. When our hope is in God's word and our hope is in God, our hope is well placed. The psalmist is calling upon the promises of God's word and he's putting his dependence that on God's word, he is going to have this hope. Notice with me in verse number 50. This is my comfort in my affliction. What is this, this here? This, what is it? God's word. God's word, this is my comfort in my affliction. For thy word hath quickeneth me. Remember that word quicken means to make alive again. It's to bring us new life and new hope. During this affliction that he's going through, he turns to the scriptures. And it's the scriptures that give him hope and the scriptures that give him comfort. Isn't it amazing that when we're hurting and we're going through afflictions and we're going through hard times, doesn't it 
seem amazing that the last thing we want to do is read our Bible? The last thing we want to do. And part of that's a spiritual warfare because our flesh knows that we're going to get hope from the Bible if we go to it. So our flesh is trying to keep us away. Our hope, our flesh wants us to be hopeless. You said, why? I thought it's on my side. No, it's against God. It's against God. And it doesn't want you to hope. It'd rather be in a depression. It'd rather you would look at the affliction rather than God. It'd rather be at the place of despair. And then just give up following God whatsoever and just feed your flesh. That's why people would turn to ice cream rather than the Bible. They'd rather go to their comfort food than the Bible. But when you're done, that ice cream doesn't give you hope. When you're done, that pizza doesn't give you hope. may give you bad dreams later, but it's not going to give you hope. It is God's word that is going to give us that hope in the midst of affliction. Notice, this is my comfort in my affliction. Affliction should drive us closer to God. What is affliction? Affliction is something that occurs to us. It's something harmful, something hurtful that comes in our life. It may be a physical pain. It may be a pain caused by a friend. It may be a pain caused by an enemy. It may be pain caused by adversity, but it is pain that hurts. And when we're in that time of pain, when we're in the time of grieving, it should be the Bible that we go to because it is our comfort. It is our hope. And the psalmist understands that I have to have new life. Because this life is old and it's falling apart. I need quicken. I need revived. How do I keep going in these adverse circumstances? By hoping in his word. I need his word. It gives me comfort. It gives me hope. It keeps me going. The word of God has caused me to hope in affliction. Notice there's something else. The word caused me to hope in derision. The word has caused me to hope in derision. Notice with me in verse 51. The proud hath had me greatly in derision. Yet I have not declined from my law. Notice that word derision. The word derision means to ridicule, mock, or laugh to scorn. So when the enemies wanted to laugh at the psalmist to scorn, he had to make sure that he didn't deviate from trusting God's word. Oh, you're one of those people that trusts the Bible? <laughs> you're stupid. He says, I have to stay with the Bible now. I have to stay close because they want me to fall. They want to show that my hope is misplaced. Oh, you get comfort from, the, from going to church? <laughs> Your church is going to fail you. It's going to mess up. Your word of God, ah, it's going to run out. You're just a fairy tale book. This idea that they laugh to scorn. You know, this idea has popped up in the Bible over and over. This, this derision, this laughing to scorn. Think about Moses standing before Almighty Pharaoh. And he comes and says, let my people go. Did Moses have an army behind him? Did he have... A bunch of special force soldiers behind him? Did he have a country behind him? He had nothing. And he stands before the most powerful man in the world at that time. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. 
Could you imagine the laughter that was in the court? Until finally Pharaoh says, stop. Who is this God that I should obey him? He made the mistake there, but they were laughing at him. And there's other times in Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah is talking about that the people are laughing at him. His life is being used as an object lesson of what a failure looks like. He's preached for 40 years. He's been telling them the judgment of God comes. And the judgment of God does come. And by the way, the judgment of God fell upon Jeremiah just as well as everyone else. He wasn't immune. And the people were now using him as an object lesson. That is what a failure looks like. Do you think Jeremiah was struggling? And yet in Lamentations chapter 3 in the middle of it, he says, this I bring to my remembrance, therefore I have hope. I have hope. Jesus Christ was not even above derision. Remember when he had the little girl who had died and Jairus came in and, and tried to get Jesus, but there was a big crowd in the way and the woman with the issue of blood needed to touch Jesus and this delay after delay until finally the little girl dies and they send a servant and said, bother the master no more for she's, she's dead. But Jesus goes anyways, takes Peter, James, and John, goes inside with Jairus and the mother and Jesus said, ah, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And it says they laughed at him to scorn. They're making fun of me. What are you? She's dead. She's clearly dead. What are you, crazy? And they're laughing at him with the idea they want to hurt him with their words. And Jesus kicked them all out and said, Arise, little maid. And she arose. All throughout the Bible, you see this derision going upon the people of God. And when people are making fun of you and they're using you as an object lesson and they're laughing you to scorn, how do you survive those circumstances? The proud hath hid me greatly in derision or hath had me greatly in derision. Yet I have not declined from thy law. I remembered thy judgments of old, O Lord, and have comforted myself. <coughs> When the people are making fun of me and said, you're stupid for following. I mean, how in the world can you abandon this job and go serve God doing this? Are you crazy? You out of your mind? You want to do what? You want to be able to get off to go to church on Wednesdays? Are you just crazy? I just out of your mind. Where do you go to when the world tries to laugh at you, to scorn, to make you feel ashamed for being a Christian. I go to God's word. That's my comfort and that's my hope. That's how we survived. Thy word hath caused me to hope in derision. <clears throat> Notice something else. Thy wor uh, the word hath caused me to hope in horror. The word has caused me to hope in horror. Horror. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number uh, 53. Horror hath taken a hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Think about this. Horror. It's not a word you find often in the Bible. Horror. This 
absolute shock to the bone. This scared to the bone. Why? Is he scared for himself? Notice what he's scared for. Horror hath taken a, po- uh, taken a hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. He's not concerned for himself, but he sees what's going to happen to these people. He sees what their end is. There is a real place called hell. There is a real place called the lake of fire. There is such a thing as the judgment seat of God where people are going to stand before God and give an account. You know the apostle Paul who was saved was scared of the judgment seat of Christ? So much so that in the great passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, therefore the terror of the Lord, we are, because of the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing there's a real place called hell. Knowing that these people, because they've forsaken God's law, that they're headed to face a real God. And it is a fearful thing to to face a living God. To understand that there are consequences for their actions. Not just for unbelievers, but believers themselves. We're going to see more about this in just a bit in the next service. But you understand that God requires us to be a servant? And God is not going to have lower expectations on you than your employer does for yourself. If you decide to show up at work and say, ah, it's not a big deal today, I'm just going to hang out. And he did that day after day. Do you think you'd have a happy employer? No, no. Then why do you think, why do you expect God to accept? Well, I'm just going to hang out here and do nothing. And you think God would be pleased with that? Knowing that one day we're going to have to stand before our master and give an account. That's a horrible feeling. To see that people are going to stand before God. And to know that it's not going to turn out well. That horror that we face. That knowing that people have consequences. I had a man come up to me in junior camp this week. And he says, I'm dealing with a, a young man who, who, he comes from a rough home. But that's not an excuse. But let me tell you, he's just been disobedient this week. And he's tried to... And he's talking about a junior camper. And this junior camper is trying to cause trouble in the middle of camp and trying to break the rules and trying to harass girls and trying to be unkind. And this counselor said, I've done everything I can. And I, he doesn't understand. And he's so brokenhearted over it. Yeah. When you could see, see, the idea of discernment is not seeing where people are at. It's seeing where they're going. It's seen where they're headed to. And right now they seem like they're fine. But they're heading off further and further away from God. With each step. And you could say their end is not going to turn out well. And horrified. If you could imagine how horrified you'd be. To see a little child standing in the middle of the road. And a semi truck coming. And knowing there was nothing you could do to stop it. And you just witness this child get splattered. Can you imagine the horror? Knowing it's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. But you could see it's going to happen. That's that horror. Knowing that something horrible is about to happen. And nothing you do seems to make a difference. But yet in the midst of this horror. Knowing what's going to happen to people. How do you survive that when you're surrounded by people who are headed towards destruction? How do you survive living in a world where everyone around you is just seeming to totter to their doom? Verse number 54. Thy statutes 
have been my songs in the night of my pilgrimage. He says, what gave me encouragement? Thy statutes, thy word. I'm still able to sing songs of praise in the midst of this horrible world that we live in. This idea of horrible is not awful. This is the idea that I could see what's going to happen and it's not going to be good. But I could still trust God. Going back to this man that I was talking about. He says, I don't know what to do. I, I plan on having another talk with this kid. I said, listen, the kid already knows he's in trouble. You've already warned him all this week. One of the things that he does not know is what true love is. True love says, I love you no matter what you've done. I said, what you need to do is you need to pull him aside. Tell him in the book of Ephesians that he's accepted in the beloved. That God loves him and not just loves him, but he likes him. And you need to put your arm around him and say, I love you and I'm praying for you and I want the best for you. I said, this will probably have a better outcome than you yelling at him again because he's already been yelled at all this week. Give him love. Give him some comfort. The goodness of God leadeth to repentance. I said, love on him anyways. He doesn't deserve it. But God still loves him and you do. Love on him. Love on him. That man looked at me and said, I'm so glad that I ran into you because I was just, I've been just figuring out what can I say. And I said, my point that I was getting to was the idea is that you could trust God to do his own work. God can do a better job of working with this child than you can. Surrender. It is not your job to fix this kid. And by the way, the sooner we get to the idea that we, it's not our job to fix people, and that we could trust God to do it, we could go back to having songs in the night, trusting in God, rather than losing sleep because the person's not doing right. See, this is the difference. When we're without hope, is there not God in Israel? Is there not a God who lives? Is there not a God who could still work? A dead dog or a uh, a sick dog is better than a dead lion, the book of Ecclesiastes said. As long as there's life, there's hope. There's a God that's still working. I don't know about you. As a pastor, I've had to struggle with this over the years. Of not sleeping because I'm so heartbroken of people that I love. And I'm horrified seeing where they're going. And God's had to work with me and say, listen, it's not dependent upon you. It's dependent on God. And I can trust him. When I stop trying to fix people and I stop trying to correct their ways and I said, God, you do it. You just use me as an instrument. You tell me what to do. I'm going to let you do the work. I sleep better and I could rejoice in God. Even though I'm heartbroken, I can still rejoice in God because I can trust him. It's less dependent on you than what you think it does. And God can do a lot better convincing people than you ever could. We just need to let God. There are a lot of times, this is side thing, but just to be a help. There are a lot of times that God doesn't work with people because you're in the way. Because you are trying to do the fixing and you won't get out of God's way. Let God do his work. Now I'm not saying do nothing, but it's do what you're supposed to do and be obedient to him and keep your eyes on him and let him do his work in the lives of others you'll get a lot better sleep because I trust him. In the midst of horror, I can have comfort and hope because of God's word. I 
can trust him. One more thing. The word caused me to hope in the night. The word has caused me to hope in the night. Notice verse 54. Thy statutes have been my song in the nights in the house of my pilgrimages. Verse 55. I have remembered thy name, O Lord, in the night and have kept thy law. There's a lot that the Bible has to say about the night. The Bible says in Psalm 91.5, it speaks about a terror in the night. There are a lot of people who are woken up in the middle of the night. Their souls gripped with the horror of the thought of death. There are people who wake up in the middle of the night with horror wrapped around their hearts. And they're scared for this reason or that. But the Bible says that we can have hope even in the middle of the night. The Bible speaks so much about the night in the Bible. Isaiah 21, 12, it says a night is a time of trouble. And that's true. I know a lot of people who don't sleep well. It's a time of trouble. It's a time of tears, Psalm 22, 2. It's a time of tears. You see, there's something about getting alone with, with your own thoughts. And you start to realize with the distractions gone, the things that are in your life or in the life of others. The night is a time of tears. Now, again, during the day, we don't want to admit it, but I'm positive that I have people who recognize these things in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 says, night is a time of temptation. There's a reason why so many sins happen at night. You get by yourself and get to the place where you can allow your own thoughts to wander. It starts with thinking about it and then you'll finally act on it. Thinking about it's a time of temptation. John 13, 30 speaks about that the night is a time of tragedy. It's a time of tragedy. Daniel 2, 19 says, night is a time of truth. You know, night, when you have no distractions, nothing keeping your mind occupied, you start to have to face some truths in your life and some people do not like it whatsoever. And yet, in spite of all of those things, night can be a time of triumph. We can praise God when God speaks to us in the night. He could bring a scripture version in mind. Job spoke of his maker giving him songs in the night. Job 35.10 We can have hope and comfort even in the middle of the night. Why? Because of God's word. Now notice with me this last verse in this segment. Verse number uh, 56. This I had. Notice this. That word this. This is a pronoun. What is this? This I had. What is this? Well it goes all the way back to verse 59, uh, 49 and 50. Hope and comfort. This I had. What is this? Hope and comfort I had. Why? Because I kept thy precepts. Because of God's word. This hope and comfort I had. Because I kept thy precepts. That because I found God's word and I obeyed God's word. I have hope. Because I've obeyed God's word. I found out what it said and I did it. I have comfort. No wonder the Bible says later on that there's hope and comfort of the scriptures. We just need to be people of the book. 
And no matter what the world throws at us, we can be a hopeful people. So why is it that we have so many Christians who are not hopeful? You know, one of the characteristics of true Christianity should be that we're a hopeful people. Sure, there's a lot of awful things in the world. But we're hopeful because our God's still on the throne. He still lives. He's still alive. He's still at work. He's not finished. We read the end of the book and he won. There's so much to be hopeful for. God's still working on people. He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's still always at work. He said a work that I began in you, I will continue until that day. He's still working in lives. As long as they're alive, there's still hope that they could get saved. As long as they're alive, there's still hope that they could get right with the Lord. We can trust Him. Where do you get this hope and comfort? It's not by repeating these things. It's for being in the Word of God for yourself. And trusting in God's promises. And letting Him do His work. And trusting Him to do His work. We could be a hopeful people. Now this is needed because so often we allow the world to overwhelm us. We allow our flesh to overwhelm us. And instead of being hopeful people, we are afflicted people. Instead of being hopeful people, we are in derision. People are laughing at us. Because we're hopeful people, or instead of being hopeful people, we're standing in horror, noticing how the world is falling apart and we feel helpless to do anything about this disaster. Or the lives of people that we love and we can see where they're headed and we're so heartbroken and can't do anything about it. We could be in the middle of the night and be terrorized and discomforted and not sleep. Or we could be hopeful people even in the middle of the night that we could wake up and no matter what your flesh tries to lie to you in your sleep, you could wake up and say, God's still good and God's still right. That you could still trust in his word. Again, the characteristics of true Christianity should be that we are a hopeful people. So let me ask you, are you a hopeful people? Well, preacher, how do I know if I'm hopeful? By your speech. By your speech. What's in you will come out of you. Are you a complainy person? Well, it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too bright, too dark, too whatever. These people don't do it right. What comes out of your mouth? Measure it. What percentage of what comes out of your mouth is hopeful? How much of it is complaining? How much of it is it um, murmuring, gossiping? How much of it is concentrating on the bad? How much of it is faith? How much of it is talking about God? How much is it talking about yourself? We should be a hopeful people. And remember, this hope doesn't make sense to the world. How can we be smiling when gas prices are like this? Because God's still on the throne. He's not worried about it. Don't you understand the government's falling apart around us? God's in charge. I'm going to a better government. We can trust Him. We should be a hopeful people. I want to challenge you and encourage you. Now, remember, I'm not talking about fake hope. Anybody could fake and sound pretty. I'm saying what comes out of you naturally is because of what you put into you naturally. If you're spending time in this book and believing this book, it will naturally come out. 
If you measure yourself today and say, well, I don't sound very hopeful today, then the answer is that you need more word of God, not just to change your speech. You need more word of God that you trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.